Hello, humans, and welcome to Sinister Soup, the show where we discuss genre fiction through dice rolling, ridiculous conversation, and beer. 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 This week, we are discussing a film series slash singular book slash also TV movie. I don't know. It's been a lot of things. It by Stephen King. But our first segment, as always, is bring some culture. In this segment, we will bring culture to you, the listeners. Really, we just go out into the world and try and find something that we think the rest of you will enjoy or we think is doing something good for the world. So, Clayton, you got some culture? Yep, I got some culture. A culture that has reached higher levels of popularity in recent years, and that culture is Viking culture through the lens of music. Mm. Dan Heim is a YouTube channel. He is a professional musician. He is proficient in like so many instruments that I'm not even actually sure how many, but I know he's proficient in just like a hundred instruments. And he is a professional recording artist who focuses on, I and he's from Scandinavia, and he focuses on making Viking music in the modern age. Mm. Uh, so it's pretty cool. He will do live, uh, I guess, shows, you'd call them? Live streams? Mm-hmm. Where he records and showcases his new work and then also work of other people who are doing Scandinavian music. Mm. Uh, traditional Viking folklore or folk music. And yeah, I mean, I just... He has a combination of stuff with vocals, stuff without vocals. Most of the stuff with vocals is um, not in English, so it might as well be another instrument to me, the voices. Mm-hmm. That, and I use Danheim a lot because I like to write with instrumentals because if there's words, I get distracted. But I love listening to, like, Chill Step, uh, Japanese lo-fi, and, and Viking music and video game music. Those are kind of my go-tos. So Danheim is one of my go-to like writing music channels. And if you like Viking music, then I would highly recommend going and checking out Danheim. His stuff is really awesome, extremely ethereal and uh, powerful and very well produced, you know, and it's all original, you know, it's original or like revivals of old Viking folk songs. So yeah, it's really cool if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah, go check out Danheim. He's pretty awesome. Danheim for Viking music. I definitely like Viking music and listen to the Witcher soundtrack constantly, even though I really haven't played the game. The soundtrack um, is beautiful from the Witcher. It's so great. I use it for D&D games a lot, too. So, my culture this week is also a YouTube channel. I've been bringing a lot of YouTube channels lately. Um, and this one is a very niche very specific audience out there so if you're listening and you are a real time fan (laughs) this is for you and if uh, you aren't then i'm i'm sorry this like probably just you know you can skip skip this part (laughs) but i am advertising a show called what up w-o-t up with an exclamation point on YouTube. It is just a Wheel of Time TV show news channel mm-hmm. is the entire purpose that uh, Jonathan McDonald had when he started it. And I, he's, he's like a very, he's a very personable host. And he actually 
breaks quite a bit of cool news where um, I've kind of kept up with him because Amazon really was like super secretive about the show for a very long time until recently they've actually started like releasing more information about when it's going to come out and some we got like the first pictures of the cast for the Wheel of Time series um, that's going to be premiering in November. But before that, like the only source we really had was YouTube and Jonathan McDonald just did a really good job of like finding leaks and like releasing them on his channel and um, sort of like fishing out little pictures and then like going into detail of what he thought they were because he's like a huge fan of the books, obviously. And he went into depth about like, oh, look at this little detail in the back of this photo. I think this is in this scene, which means that they're going to have like this sequence from the books in, into the show and yeah what up and now that uh the show is actually getting advertised more i think he's expecting to get some like cast interviews closer to the release date so if you want to hear the actors who are going to play uh the characters from wheel of time um i think he's gonna get some interviews possibly with them and that'd be really cool i think to get some insight from them because i know the show is gonna have to like change quite a bit because that series is really hard to adapt with how it's written and so i'm i'm curious to hear like from the actors what what they think like what they talk about their job and how they felt on on uh on set and if they're like really ready and committed to do as many seasons as it might take which is a lot so yeah what up cool yeah i mean i like wheel of time I'm going to be honest, I won't be diving into anything like that until I see a couple episodes of the show, mm-hmm. because I just refuse to get my hopes up again, um, like I have for so many other fantasy series that come yeah. out, especially if they're not by like HBO or something. I pretty much trust HBO, even after what they did to Game of Thrones at the end. They still mm-hmm. started it strong and did it strong for five years, you know? Mm-hmm and or for five seasons and most of their other shows are solid it's like hbo consistently does good work at least on their first seasons but i don't really trust amazon or netflix for that matter Hmm. or a lot of the time we we might have to have a discussion about that (laughs) before we go into the because i do trust amazon netflix i'm with you they it's like 50 percent crap and 50 percent good i don't know i feel like netflix's approach is just like throw as many ideas as possible at a dartboard and like some of them will be good and the rest who cares but amazon i've been pretty well pleased with almost every amazon show i've watched i really loved their comedies they produced uh the boys was okay i mean it's it's kind of fun and stupid it's Mm -hmm. not like premium television but it was fun invincible was a great anime vinland saga was a great anime yeah they've pleased me so far honestly you've probably watched a lot more of it than i have also so i could just be uh wrong (laughs) i think Um, it is good to not get hopes up though with fantasy series because like they don't have a great track record (laughs) no i mean the witcher was god awful and it had a lot of good material to work with but we don't need to rip on The Witcher again. We've already done that in a different episode. <laughs> already so done that. We aren't going to be reviewing The Witcher now because it, it's very transparent how we feel. Indeed. We should probably get on to It because right. that is the 
we are talking about the recent movie today, not the book. Um, although I'm sure we'll allude to the book and possibly to the 1990s movie as well. Tim Curry. At, at some points. <laughs> um, but we are today currently talking about the more topical 2017 remake. So it, if you didn't know, is the story of a killer clown creature. Um, like many of Stephen King's stories, it's based on folklore, uh, like traditional folklore of what like the clown actually is, uh, which is actually like a cloin, it's called. It's a, it's a Germanic folklore creature which lures children into the woods and, and devours them. Um, creepily enough, it's kind of where like the clown comes from. Because in Germanic folklore, it it looks like that. It's it's very like flamboyant colors and uh, looks playful and fun, and that's why children go to play with it. How that became a common thing in the circus, uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah the the original cloin is is like an old creature. Uh, Supernatural also did a take on on the original like clown demon cloin, but that's pretty much what it is. And it's surface it surfaces in this town of Derry every twenty seven years, and every twenty seven years a few children go missing. Um, so it's something that's been happening in Derry for a long time. And the story of it focuses around our main characters, who are children at the start of the movie, and one of their little brothers. Uh, the main character's little brother gets uh, taken by the clown and eaten, and all the kids kind of go on a mission to to find out what happened. Um, and, you know, they, they find the clown, and they think they defeat him, but then 27 years later, he uh, comes back, and then they all return as adults and have to deal with it again. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, yeah, that is it in a nutshell. That's the movie in a nutshell, the book in a nutshell. So we're going to roll the dice. We're going to see who... Oh, yes, sorry. But first, we have a new segment, uh, a sub-segment to the forced entrollment segment of the show, and that is our trivia question. So whoever asked the trivia question... If uh, they manage to stump the answerer, then they get to roll their dice with advantage, uh, which means you get to roll twice and take the higher of the two rolls. However, if the trivia question answerer gets it right, then the answerer gets to roll with advantage. And just to remind you, if you don't remember, in Forced Entrollment, we roll the dice, and the higher roller defends the Booker movie, the lower roller has to tear it apart. So, yeah. Travis, what you got for trivia this week? I asked the question last week. Okay. In the It Part 1, the 2017 release, what scene had to be cut in order to keep the movie R instead of NC-17? Oh, the child orgy. <laughs> Yeah, you got that one pretty easy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yep, the child orgy. That is, yeah, that is. in the book, there's a child orgy. Thanks a lot, Stephen King. Stephen King is a strange man. Um, I love you, Stephen, okay. but boy, you gotta 
that one was that one was a lot (laughs) i'm really glad i'm really glad it wasn't in the movie (laughs) yeah i didn't want to see that all right we're rolling for advantage you have advantage okie dokie all right i got a 12 i got a 13 wow you got a 12 with advantage yeah i rolled a 12 and a 4 so oh man yep all right so am i defending or i'm you're defending you're first all right well uh let's just start off then it the 2017 and 2019 part two this movie came in two parts which is my first defense for the movie i'm so glad they split this when they first tried to adapt it it was a tv miniseries so they broke it into like four parts but it was made for tv very low budget as much as i love the legend himself tim curry who played pennywise the clown in the original uh, it just wasn't i mean it's like just not back when they made tv movies back then like miniseries they did not really make them as well normally as they do now now a mega movie is a standard thing and they get huge budgets and stuff that was not um really what happened in the time that it was first made so in this one i'm glad they split it into two movies because it gave us time to take one full movie to develop relationships with these children like with the characters and know like them as their child selves before then proceeding into their adult lives two years later which was cool to have that gap of like oh they've now grown up the movie did a really good job at casting all the characters were very well like aligned to their book character um had the same quirks the same sort of like descriptions they looked the same as as i remember them looking when i kind of read a little bit of it i i never did finish it it was a very large book and they did a really good job with continuity of the characters from their child selves to like the adults um like i remember watching the first part and uh the redhead girl i cannot remember her name right now i can have it right here anyway the redhead girl she like came on screen and i was like oh definitely jessica chastain (laughs) like beverly marsh came on screen sophie sophia lewis played her child self and i was like oh that should be jessica chastain when they're adults and then i remember like seeing the trailer for the first for the second one drop and i was like hey look it's jessica chastain (laughs) like they they knew what they were doing the other sort of big compliment on this is i think bill skarsgård did a phenomenal job as Pennywise. Like, he really captured that just, like, weird... Like, he's goofy, but he's not, like, because he's a monster, and but, like, he has this sort of strange thing uh, where he, like, draws the children in through his goofiness, but then, like, after a beat, they notice that he's not a clown. Like, they are not talking to a person. And the craziest thing is the eye theme that in one of the first scenes, Pennywise does like this eye thing where his eyes move apart from each other and one like droops down. Bill like does that. That's not a special effect. <laughs> like mm. He like could do that with his face. Every interview I've heard from the cast like talks about how they came on and Bill's just like goofing around and like a really nice guy to work with. And then he just becomes Pennywise and everyone's instantly like, Oh no, we don't like being in the same room with you right now. Like he was that good as the clown. And I think that's a testament to, to the movie built around that, that um, 
he brought that energy and you can kind of feel it radiate from the rest of the movie yeah i agree with the bill skarsgård thing uh he's definitely creepy as hell the problem is with the it uh with the the 2017 and 2019 films they way overdo jump scares and and like the big spooky scenes um because here's the problem with it that i have always had with any of the film or tv depictions it's different in the book because you don't really know if the kids are gonna make it but like in it you know like by the by the time all the adaptations have come out like the book was so big that you kind of already knew that the characters return as adults so therefore you have no horror in the in the whole first section because you know the characters aren't gonna die so like you can try to scare me as much as you want you can throw as much like crazy bill scars guard with creepy eye stuff at me and crazy like hallucinatory hallucinatory trips that that they leaned on in that movie like big hallucinatory cgi warping effects and stuff which it was cool to watch but it was never scary and i think maybe with a little more subtlety they might have accomplished a more scary effect like a little bit more of a slow burn thing or even honestly taking some liberty and killing one of the kids i would have been fine with that i'm usually not into straying from the book in such regards but like honestly you've got enough of them that like you could have killed one off and it would have surprised me at least mm-hmm. but like the pr- that always been my problem with it is the there's no horror if you know what that the characters aren't gonna die you know it's kind of like honestly um i'm experiencing this in like wheel of time right now because now that i found out moraine is probably still alive i i just got to the to the uh, 12th book you know uh-huh. yeah. um so i found out moraine is you know pretty much confirmed that she's still alive so it's like okay so like the only major character that you've really killed isn't even dead so now i'm just like are you gonna actually kill anybody that Mm -hmm. matters i don't know maybe but probably not you know it's kind of like it's why george martin is such a genre breaker because he kills major characters and that means all the other characters are actually in danger and I just don't think you can have good horror or good suspense if you don't actually fear for the characters. And I don't think you can in it because you know that they're going to come back. Okay, for two reasons. One, if you've read the books, you know that one of them does in the end, in the second part. And if you haven't read the books, then I don't think you would get that sense at all. Because if you haven't read the book, then it's like Pennywise is such a huge threat. You have no idea who's making it out of there. Yeah, there's a second part, but they didn't like release the trailer. It's not like they had spoilers ahead where people who hadn't read the book would be like, oh, I see he's on the cast list, so that means the kid lives. No, there would have been no... The only thing they knew for people who hadn't read it was that there's a part two, and we don't know what that will, will be. And I think like it was enough that... I think even for people who read the books, it's it was necessary for them to split it because you want to develop a relationship with the characters who were who will then be adults. And they did a really good job of the one who does die, who like commits suicide, and I think I think his second one dies. Yeah, in the in the tunnels in the second part, there's two 
of the adults who were children die. Mm-hmm. Those two were like very, very strong in the first half. So you like got attached to them and were like, oh man, I like know what's coming and I don't want it to come. And that I thought was like powerful enough. I mean, if you've read the book beforehand, you already know what's going to happen. So like, I don't think that argument can like stand for the movie because I don't know, I guess unless you do deviate, but like if I'm going into a movie that I've read the book, that's a horror adaptation. Well, I know exactly what's going to happen. So I hope they can keep the suspense up in a different way. And I thought they did like, because they get that element taken away. I mean, there's tons of examples of, of books that didn't deviate that still kept the suspense even though you kind of know knew who was going to make it out alive and who wasn't uh i also just i think like as long as the story remains which it did i don't think grimdark is necessary even in horror in in a sense like like that that um that nihilistic sort of view of reality is harsh so this has to be harsh i think like as long as the story has a continuity that keeps going and I really think the the kids arc had a really well put together plot that led to a good second film. Then then it's fine. Yeah, it's not that I maybe misframed that argument a little bit. It's not I know the kids are going to survive because there's a part two because I read the book. That's not necessarily why it doesn't get me. It's the way they executed it in the film, mm. like all the sequences when they like go in the house and they're going after Pennywise and all the kids have kind of their own separate hallucination where he like almost gets them. Fear the week. Fear the week. I'm drinking, I'm still in cup bank. So I'm drinking more cousin Louie's stuff. Hey, cousin Louie. Hey, yeah. I'm, I'm drinking farmer's gold, which is his pale ale, not IPA, just a normal pale ale. So kind of in line with like a rolling rock. Nice and light, uh, I assume. Right we'll on. see how it is. I am having Lynn, who I've done before on here, uh, is a Pennsylvania brewery that I really have grown to enjoy while I've been on the East Coast. They came out with a light beer just last year, I think, or maybe two years ago, called Flight. Mm. Yinling Flight. Okie dokie. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yep. Nice and light. Crisp. Lots of flavor. Very tasty. Good job, Cousin Louie. It's like a rolling rock, but a lot more, uh, with a lot more flavor. A lot less watery. Um, flight is good. I, I actually could use pretty much the same words to describe it. Um, it's light, crisp has that same sort of uh, taste that Yinling does, but a little less harsh. Uh, yeah, very good beer. I love Yinling. That's what you want in a light beer, you know? You want some flavor that stays with you, but mm-hmm. you don't want it to be like a heavy gut bomb like a stout is, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's Those light beers for me are like the best for like warm, hot, sweaty days, days yep. by the lake, stuff like 100%. that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Or the those are usually the kind of beers I like to drink with like most meals as well. Like hot wings and stuff especially, or if I'm like watching football, you know. I love a, a good light beer to go with like the spicy and then stouts like I like stouts when I'm drinking my when I'm eating like something hearty, like prime mm-hmm. rib. Give me a stout. 
with that. Mm-hmm. Just uh, just really kicked my gut right in the pants. But yeah, light beer. They're t- tasty. Cousin Louie's pretty good, man. He does. Um, he makes good beer. I'm really pleasantly surprised by uh, the quality of the the brewery here in town. I'm surprised. I, I've been to a lot of pretty crappy breweries. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I mean... I don't know why I assume this, but it's just like when a brewery first starts up and he's been going a little while now, but a lot of like, like in Great Falls, for example, there's like five breweries and like two of them are good, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was kind of expecting something a little more, a little less uh, awesome, but mm-hmm. yeah, this, this brewery is really good here in town. It's really surprising and a really pleasant surprise. Right on. Uh, I agree. Um, yep. So, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah, I don't know what yeah. else to say. Yep. So, uh, yep, yep. Um, yeah. Who's going I'm first? first? Yep. All right. Well, this one I I actually don't like. I never have liked it really, uh, for the reason I said. Like, it's too over the top. There's a lot of. Uh, and what I was saying in the argument, I'm just going to finish saying because it is the main reason I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's because I know the kids aren't going to die. But like the 2017 one in particular went so over the top with like the hallucination sequences and like these huge, scary sequences, tons of graphics and effects. And like it was just big, really big every time, you know? And to me, that's like, and I get it, like, he's a clown. So we're we're embracing that, like, carnival-y, carnival-y aspect, dark carnival-type stuff of the horror elements. And, you know, I could see the merit of that stuff, but it also has a limit to where it's effective. And I think they went way beyond where it was effective. It's like when you tell, when you, like, come up with a funny catchphrase... And mm-hmm. you end up saying it all day because it seems to apply to everything. And then by the end of the day, you like never want to hear someone say it ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how that movie felt to me. Um, <laughs> because like the first time I saw a big crazy sequence, I was like, oh, that's that's cool. But by like the 20th time in the first freaking movie, I was like, all right, I get it. Like Pennywise is he's a scary clown boy. Mm-hmm. Um but I know he's not going to kill the kid. So do we really have to spend like like 15 minutes watching this kid see like a crazy jack-in-the-box snake? Or can we like move on? Mm-hmm. Can we just get to the second movie where he actually kills people? Or do we got to like, how long are we going to do this? Yeah. Uh, that's just how the movie felt to me. Because yeah, I know like Henry, he's going to die in the next movie. And that's great. Like... Uh, I think a lot of the first movie stuff pays off in the second movie, but man, to me, that first movie just drug and drug and drug because it was like these giant sequences just like trying to be scary so hard that it was like there's no longer anything scary about this because it's so ridiculously theatric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also actually, uh, this is one of the first I think that neither of us really enjoy I don't hate it, but I just, like, it's meh. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I feel that way about almost every single Stephen King adaptation. Um, I just think there's something about King that is really hard to capture. Um, 
and I think it I don't know it just doesn't translate super well to film the test mm-hmm. being like The Shining is probably the best Keen based movie ever and it deviates heavily and Keen hates it <laughs> like right um because it basically was just like the same concept but Kubrick just did what he wanted with it right. um, he Kubrick it he Kubrick it and it worked really well uh but Pet Cemetery, I felt meh. It, I felt meh. Most King movies, I'm just like, okay, that was that was okay. Because, mm-hmm. like you say, it's a lot of, like, just kind of crazy jump scares. And because that does happen in King books, but most of a King book is, like, the dread and just, like, awful, like, anxiety that are inside the characters' heads. That's just, like, impossible to really capture on screen. Like, you can get close-ups of actors, like, looking anxious, but it's not the same as how he describes, like, when the kids see the clown. It's not this crazy, like, psychedelic dream sequence. It's all in the kid's mind of, like, the fear and dread and anxiety that they're about to die. Like, that's what makes King frightening. And I just... I really don't think it's that much of the fault of the filmmakers in this movie. I just don't think King is that filmable, in all honesty. Well, no, I'm with you 100% and nail right on the head. This has always been my opinion on this. It's the exact same reason you can never make a good Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. Mm-hmm. You just won't be able to do it because what makes that book so funny is the internal monologue and the narration, the narrator. It's a whole character, like the biggest character in the book in like Hitchhiker's Guide is the narrator, you know? <laughs> and for Stephen King, his narrators are his character's internal uh, thoughts and <laughs> the uh, stream of conscience that he writes his character's uh, views of the world through, you know? it's He's very much a master of that stream of conscious narration. <laughs> and you cannot capture that effectively on film i think the only two recent examples i've seen that i actually like were both short stories i liked the 1920 it was like 1927 or something it was a short story about like a farmer that kills his wife and then there was the um the game one where the wife's like tied to the bed and the husband like dies Mm -hmm. in the room with her both very short stories very isolated settings and those directors were able to kind of capture that keen essence of like the psychedelic, we're just going crazy in our own heads kind of thing. And it worked, but like when it's a long book, when it's a whole arcing plot and there's several sequences of that, it never works in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, I could think of a few Stephen King adapt- adaptations that I enjoyed. Almost all of them though are his short stories because I also liked um, Secret Garden. And I do think Johnny Depp was a particularly good choice for that sort of movie because he is oh, one of those actors not, that or secret secret window, secret window. Secret not garden. Bad. Sorry. It's, it's like a secret garden that he buries the wife in, is what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah secret yeah. window. Sorry. Um, but that was a good one. And that's also a Stephen King short story. Mm-hmm. And that one is helped because the character's insane persona, his like other personality basically is a literal character. So, you know, that helps you express those things. Mm-hmm. And again, I do think Johnny Depp was a particularly wise casting choice for that movie because he is an excellent actor at like showing internal turmoil externally 
Mm-hmm. He's a master of that. But yeah, also a short story. So your point stands there. The the only exception to it, really, that I can think, because I mean, even like Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile, those are both short stories. Um, aren't they? Green Mile? Yes. Yep. Yeah. They were newspaper kind of slow releases. Yeah, they're really short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, and those are, I mean, Shawshank is, I wouldn't say even arguably the best Stephen King adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but I did recently watch the HBO show The Outsider, and that mm. was really good. They did awesome on that. I one. will say too, I've heard good things. I haven't seen it, but I've heard very good things about Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. I still have to I, read that book. I do too. That's why I haven't watched the movie yet. But I love the yeah. cast. I, I intend to check it out. We should review it when we watch it. We should and read it. Yeah, because um. I agree with you on the Shining, like. The Shining is one of my favorite novels of all time, not just horror novels. Um, I think it's one of the best portrayals of like a child character that I've <laughs> ever read. Because um, Danny is just such a great, fleshed out, amazingly written child character. He mm-hmm. seems so, you know, makes you feel like you understand children when you read that. In the movie, he was like, Danny was just like so shallow, badly portrayed. And yeah, anyway, that's just the fact of it. The book is so much beyond the movie. As good as the movie was, it's basically not the same story, in my yeah. opinion. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this one. We agree that I don't know. It is just meh. Like it's, it did it its best. Yeah, it did its best, and it really like I can't even fault the acting. No, the kids all did good. The production mm-hmm. value was good. It just is, there's something about it that there's like this essential piece of King that just misses. Well, I, and I agree with what you said. I, cause Pet Cemetery is a super creepy book. Oh, one of my, probably my favorite Stephen King book. Honestly. In, in terms of being scary, it's the scariest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the most disturbing cause that whole concept of, you know, dealing with death and grief and then that death and grief coming back to literally kill you in the form of the person you're grieving is terrifying Mm -hmm. um and it is it's like that like you they cannot for the life of them do pet cemetery any justice on film and they've tried over and over and it seems to have the same problem because it's like you said i think film like filmmaking wise they did everything they could Mm mm-hmm to appeal to a modern audience they cast awesome people all the performances were great um and even the sequences that i didn't particularly care for i think they catered well to the modern audience and i think they were like good filmmaking choices it just you just can't get into the character's head on film as well as you can in a book and stephen king's ability to do that is unparalleled so it's like when you try you either like miraculously pull it off or you fail miserably, and generally you fail miserably, which is why the latter case, or the uh, former case, is miraculous. Mm-hmm. I think you have to like find another way to another way to portray that with the actors, like many directors have managed to do with his short film adaptations. But it has just never been able to do it, and it fell mm-hmm. really flat for me. It's not my favorite book by King. Not yeah. even close. It's it's eh. I think a lot of its appeal honestly comes from the the creature being a clown. Mm-hmm. 
everybody's afraid of clowns everyone thinks clowns are creepy so it's like you know it's like if you write a vampire book you're just a lot more likely to get people to read it than you are if you write like some obscure creature like the outsider i think that has a lot to do with it clowns are like very pop horror you know just like vampires are yeah i agree all right well that seems like a show that's a show we did it it. um we did it we made it out uh if you want to watch it and let us know what you think just uh send us a message where can we find you clay you can find me at clayvermullenfiction.com that's well i'm not gonna spell it it'll be in the description of the episode (laughs) clayvermullenfiction.com i'm on instagram and linkedin all that will be down there and i am on instagram and tiktok and also linkedin but i never use it so that's probably not a good place to find me links in the Uh description send us messages we want to hear from y'all um i would love to get you on my newsletter list and exchange emails with you about whatever you want to exchange emails about really really want to hear from the fans all right well as always i have been travis vermullum i've been clay vermullum and we are both still those people